Well, good morning again. We are finally going to return to the beginning, that is, to the book of Genesis, the, the book of beginnings, uh, the book that we learn and should learn, uh, the, these foundational truths about God, about creation, about man, about what's gone wrong, about what's going to go right. This is where we learn those foundational truths, uh, Genesis. And, uh, you know, we were going through this uh, book for a while, and uh, we've taken a little over a four-month break from it. I don't know if you realize it's been that long since we've been in Genesis, uh, but just before Christmas, uh, we, we uh, stopped and, and haven't been back until now. So I, for one, am excited to be back in the book of Genesis. So if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. And because it's so long, I'm going to give you like the most brief review that I possibly can of what we've seen so far in Genesis. So 16 chapters, here it goes, okay? We, we know that in the beginning, God, right? There is this pre-existent almighty God uh, that, that exists. Nothing made him exist. He had no beginning for all of eternity past. And this God created the heavens and the earth. There, I've covered one verse so far. Uh, now, th this is what we see. This is a foundational truth, right? That there is this God and that he created everything. In particular, he created humans uh, primarily uh, to relate to him in a way that no other creature, no other part of his creation could. And we were created to worship and enjoy this great God of glory and perfection. But then mankind fell into sin, right? Mankind fell into sin, and the curse came with it. That is, uh, that, that they were made spiritually dead in that moment, uh, not, not spiritually alive. There was physical corruption, physical calamity and deterioration, and ultimately physical death. But we also saw that God, in his grace, promised redemption right here in Genesis. That there would be a human, a man, through the seed of Eve, that would take care of this sin problem. But as things went on, history went on, population grew, and so did wickedness. And so we see a couple things happen. We see the flood, that God is going to flood the earth, <clears throat> destroy the earth, but he saves Noah and his family on the ark by his grace. We see the Tower of Babel where wickedness grows again and God uh, confuses their languages and disperses the people all over the earth. Ten generations after uh, Noah, we are introduced to this man named Abram. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a, a widely known just wicked, uh, godless city, at least the true God, that is, uh, godless city. But God, in his grace, appears to Abram and calls him out of this wicked place and out of his own wickedness as well. God commands him to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house and to go to a place that God will lead him. And God, throughout Genesis, uh, promises to Abram that he will make a great nation out of him, that he will bless him, and that he will have a land, he will possess a land, and ultimately God will bless all the families of the earth through Abram. These are some amazing promises as God is narrowing in on, on where this redemptive plan will be fulfilled, namely through the, the, the lineage of Abram. But we, we see all these things, and I, I really can't go through all of it. I, like I said, it'll be the, the, the super condensed review. Uh, but as we go through the rest of the sermon, I will remind you of a lot more of the things that happen in Abram's life. But more than look at Abram today, I want to look at the God of Abram. You might see the title there, uh, the God of Abraham. Uh, and, and the reason I, I use that word is because in this text, these eight verses, God will change his name to Abraham from Abram. And, and so more importantly today than looking at Abraham or Abram, well, I'm going to keep calling him Abram for today, more, more importantly than seeing him and how he is uh, interacting with God, we need to see the God of Abraham. Abram. <laughs> we need to know the God that he is following, the God who has called him out, and the God who he is, or at least is supposed to be, trusting. 
That is what we're going to focus on today, the God of Abram. And we'll do the same thing next week. We'll look at another aspect of this God of Abram because it really will make all the difference in the world for Abram, who he believes and trusts God to be, and it really will make all the difference in the world for us, for who we believe and trust God to be. So let's read this text, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. <clears throat> no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your, and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That is God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I believe you have a big lesson for us today from your word. And God, I, I believe that today you want us to, to not only see ourselves in Abram and the way he relates to you, but I believe more than that, you want us to see you, the God of Abram. So God, would you reveal this truth in our hearts? Would you impress it upon our minds at the deepest level today? God, show us your beauty. Show us your glory. And please change our lives because of it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so today we, we really won't go any further than verse 1, and I, I won't even make it all the way through verse 1, because again, more than looking at, at Abram or, or anything, we will be looking at the God of Abram. And again, the reason I'm doing that is because what we think about God, what we believe about God, changes everything. You probably know the A.W. Tozer quote. He said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, and that's absolutely true, isn't it? If we believe that God is, is a tyrant rather than good, then we're just going to try to like placate him and kind of avoid him, right? If we believe that God is foolish rather than infinitely wise— then we're probably going to be tempted to, to lean on our own understanding, to, to make our own plans for our lives, to make our own idea of what is good. And if we believe, as we'll see today, that God is weak rather than almighty, then we will live our lives in fear and anxiety and always having to work around God to make our lives the way we believe that they should be. And we will do that even when it requires that we sin. So what we believe about God really is the most important thing about our lives because it changes the way that we relate to him and the way that we live each and every day. And so that's, that's what we see here in, in uh, Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I mean, did you catch that there? God, by the way, there's a 13-year gap between chapter 16, the end of chapter 16, and the uh, beginning of chapter 17. There's a 13-year gap, and so God is appearing to Abram, and clearly he has something important to say. Clearly he has something that he really, really wants Abram to know. And so what does he say first? I am God Almighty. You know, it's so easy for me sometimes as I read my Bible to, to see something like that and just to skim over it, 
to, to act like it's not important, but we need to understand this is God and his self-disclosure to us, telling us who he is and how we can relate to him. So to skim over this would be to miss the way God wants to reveal himself to you. So we're going to spend some time on this part, this way God names himself. So I kind of just begin with asking a question that will, that will help us understand what's going on here, is, is why at this particular time in Abram's life does God reveal himself with this particular description, this particular title for himself to Abram? Well, I believe that the reason is, just kind of a, in a short word, is Abram had a problem, and it's the same problem you and I face uh, pretty much each and every day, and that problem is impossible circumstances. If you want to write something in your notes, I have it in mind. Uh, number one, the problem is impossible circumstances. So many times in our lives, we, we come up to circumstances and situations that we simply do not see a way out of. We, we don't see how they could possibly turn out good. We don't see uh, why we're having to wait so long. And, you know, we're facing these things. And, and that's exactly what's going on in Abram's life. He was facing truly, humanly impossible circumstances. You might remember, uh, I would imagine you do, that as we talked about, God had promised to Abram in chapter 12 and chapter 13 and 15 that God was going to bless him with an heir, a son. And, and not only that, but God was going to, to, through that son, make a numerous offspring, as numerable as the stars in the sky and the dust on the earth and the sand on the seashore. And that God was going to make of those people a great nation. God had big, awesome plans for Abram. I mean, if you read it, I mean, it's, it's making, <laughs> I don't know if this is the right way to speak of it, but it's, it's making Abram's mouth water for what, what God wants to give him, for, for what God's promising. Yes, that sounds good. I want an heir. I want a son. I want a great nation to come through him and for your plan, God, to be fulfilled through that. So that was God's promise but the problem is, as we learned in Genesis eleven thirty, it just says this, Now, Sarai, that's Abram's wife, Sarai was barren. She had no child. So what that's saying there is, she didn't just not have children yet. They weren't just, you know, ah, we'll wait a little while. No, she was barren. She could not have a child. It was impossible for her. And we learn in chapter 12 that when God gives Abram this promise, he was already 75 years old in that account in Genesis 12. And by the time we get to chapter 16, just before this, in chapter 17, he is 86 years old. He still has no child. God's promise has not been fulfilled. And I mean, he's, he's not getting any younger. He's not becoming more biologically viable uh, to, to make a child. And so, from Abram's point of view, in every way, uh, having this child that, that God had promised was impossible. A barren wife and, and an aging husband is just not a good recipe for a child. And so what does he do in this problem? Again, this is what chapter 16 was all about. Uh, Abram and his wife, they, they contrive a plan to, to go around uh, what, what God had said to, to, to we'll produce this child they said and the way that they're going to do this is by Abram uh, sleeping with Hagar this is Sarai's servant girl this is a sinful act for Abram this was sinful for Sarai to even suggest him to do and it was doubly sinful for Abram to do it He didn't trust God. He didn't see God for who he is, so he had to go his own way. He saw the circumstances as impossible, so he made his own way by, by sinning. And this actually wasn't the first time Abram had done this. If you remember, uh, I believe it's in chapter 12, right at the beginning, he, he goes you know, to Canaan, <clears throat> to Canaan, but then there's a famine in the land, right? Well, my, my family and I need food. 
And so they leave the promised land and go down into wicked Egypt. And uh, things don't turn out well for them there, but God does get them out. Because uh, another part of what Abram did is because he was afraid when he went down there, he has his wife lie, and he lies about not being married. They, they act like they're, they're just, you know, brother and sister, and that's it. He didn't want to be killed so that people would, uh, you know, because they would want his wife. So we see there he didn't trust God's uh, provision of, of food in this famine. They didn't trust God's protection uh, of them. And then uh, with Hagar, as we just talked about in chapter 16, we see that he didn't trust God's promises. He didn't trust God's promise that he really could bring a child. So that is the context in which we read chapter 17. And that really is so important because God does reveal himself in a particular way at this particular time in Abram's life. And what was that? He didn't trust God enough. He didn't trust that God could do the impossible in these impossible circumstances. And so he walked into sin. Now it's easy to point our finger at Abram, right? But does that sound familiar to anyone in this room? Have you ever been so worried about something that you lay awake in bed at night sinfully anxious about it rather than casting your cares on God, rather than uh, receiving this peace of God? Have you ever been so scared of getting in trouble for something that you did that you lie about it to get out of trouble? I haven't. (laughs) That was a lie. Anyway, uh, (laughs) have you ever wanted something so badly that you stole to get it? Have you ever wanted something so badly that you were uh, sinful or dishonest in the way that you got the money to purchase it, or even just unwise in the way you purchased it? Have you ever uh, wanted to be liked or esteemed so much that you were willing to gossip about other people or tell secrets that have been confided in you just so that other people will like you? The list could really go on and on, but we are faced with things that that often seem impossible for us if we don't just take it into our own hands, grab life by the horns, even though it's sinful to do the things that we do. That's what Abram was struggling with. He wanted what God had promised. He just didn't quite believe that God could pull it off because he saw impossible circumstances. So he had to go around God. And that's our problem as well, I would say, in many times. Even the fact that God says he will satisfy the desires of our hearts, that he will be the the water of life, the bread of life. Ah, I'll find my satisfaction elsewhere because I'm not quite getting it from you, God. I, I, I don't know if you really can. So what is the answer for these impossible circumstances? What, what is it that Abram and we should cling to when we are in an impossible circumstance, and we don't know how it could possibly work out well. This is number two, if you want to write it down. The problem was impossible circumstances. Number two, the answer is God Almighty. The answer is God Almighty. See, what Abram needed to recognize and believe and cling to was that although his situation really was humanly impossible, the God who had made him that promise was able to do the impossible. His situation was impossible. His wife is barren. He's past child uh, having age. It's an impossible situation, but he needed to understand that the God he served was able to do the impossible. I mean, that makes sense, right? If someone makes you a promise, a promise is only as good as the power of the person who made you the promise, right? I think about children. I actually saw this the other day. Um, a kid, kids were bartering uh, for some things, and one of them said, I'll give you a million dollars if you do this. I'll give you a million dollars. And the other one said, okay. Now, that's cute and all, uh, but you say, well, we are past that, right? We don't just believe someone when they make a promise. We, we say, well, can you back it up? Can you, let me see your bank account, you know, pull up regions on your iPhone and show me you have a million dollars in there that you can give me. Do you, are you able to give me what you have promised? 
And so if Abram and if we are in this, these impossible situations and God has given promises to us, we need to know that he is God Almighty who really can fulfill those promises. <clears throat> so that's why we're here in Genesis uh, at this point, and, and we're learning these foundational truths about God. He's Yahweh, he's Elohim, uh, he's El Roy. There, there are these different names for God that I can't go into right now, but now we see that God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. These are foundational truths about God, about life, that change everything. I want to give you sort of a, a, a quasi-definition of this, uh, what it means for him to be God Almighty, and I, I don't want to overcomplicate this or insult your intelligence. I imagine when I say that someone is almighty, you, you know what I mean by that, but I, I do hope to, to deepen your understanding of that as it applies to God in this name he gives himself, El Shaddai, God Almighty. So just some, some, some points here I could give you is, for God to say that he is God Almighty is to say that he has infinite strength and infinite ability to do all that he pleases. Psalms 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Jeremiah 32, 26 and 27, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The obvious answer there is no, nothing is too hard for you, God. For God to say he is God Almighty is to say that there is no one and nothing that can stop him from doing what he pleases to do. No one and nothing can stop him. There is nothing that can stand in his way. Isaiah 14, 27, for the, Lord, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Next, we could say that for God to, to say he is almighty God is to say that although something be humanly impossible, impossible by human standards, does not at all mean that it is impossible for God to do those things. Mark 10, 27, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And the, the final point I'll give here on what it means for God to be God Almighty is although God says, let me think here, I'll, I'll just read what I've got here. If God has said he is going to do something in us or through us, although we could never do it in and of ourselves with God, it is entirely possible that he do it through us and in us. Does that make sense? E even in us and through us, Although it is impossible for us to do, God can do it through us. You see in uh, Luke one thirty seven, this is uh, when the, the angel has appeared to Mary, and, and, and she says, or the angel says, uh, you're going to have a child. She says, how can this be, for I am a virgin? Right? That's impossible. It's impossible for her to have a child. This is what the angel says. Nothing will be impossible with God. You will. You'll, ha you'll have a child. Even though it's impossible for you to have uh, a child uh, as a virgin, nothing will be impossible with God, so you will. You'll have a child. In Philippians 4.13, uh, when, when Paul's speaking about enduring incredible hardships uh, and, and the way that he, he keeps the faith, the way that he continues on his mission, he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can endure the worst of hardships and keep my faith. I can endure the worst of hardships and continue on in the mission God has given me and said he would do through me. Why? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That, that's what it means uh, for God to call himself God Almighty, El Shaddai. He has infinite strength to do all that he pleases. No one can stop him. He can do what we could never do. And in fact, he can empower us to do what we could never do. That is what it means for God to call himself God Almighty. Let me ask you, are you glad to be following that God today? I know I am. I, I face a lot of impossible circumstances in my life, so I'm glad to not only be following that God, but to be looking at that particular attribute of God 
today, this God who is able to do the impossible. Now, I put, in, you know, in, in before you that, that Abram wasn't trusting that God was almighty. You know, and you might say, oh, come on, you're, you're being a little hard on Abram. How could he have possibly known that God was almighty? This, this is, by the, by the way, the first time God calls himself almighty. This is the first time he reveals himself in this way with this title. So how could Abram have possibly known that God was almighty? How, how could any of us know that God is almighty, right? How could we know that? Well, the short answer is we can look at the evidence. We can look at the evidence. Abram should have looked at the evidence that God was almighty, and we should do the same. So let me give you three pieces of Abram's evidence. This is point three in my notes. Abram's evidence. First, Abram could have seen that God was almighty through creation. Look around you. Are you kidding me? This is insane. This world is so big. We are, are, are but specks on this tiny planet. This tiny planet is but a speck in our galaxy. Our galaxy is but a speck in the universe. Are you kidding me? That God? Well, how did God create uh, all of this? How, how did he do it? You know, was it hard and arduous for him? God said, let there be light, and there was light. He just speaks, and there it is. God says, let earth exist, and earth exists. God says, let animals fill the earth, let fish fill the waters, and boom, there they are. Millions of them. This is almighty God. He speaks, and all these things come into being. Creation is a testament. It is an evidence that God is God Almighty, El Shaddai. He can do the impossible. I think about this uh, coming off of Easter. I, I've talked to a number of people, uh, you know, that, that struggle with the resurrection. Uh, I just can't believe that someone could be raised from the dead like that, uh, the, the way that Jesus did. I'm thinking, that just sounds so small to me compared to making all of this exist. Uh, it just really does. Like, uh, th this whole creation exists. The one who created it could certainly raise the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus, back to life. This same God could certainly give you and I resurrected bodies one day. That does not sound hard to me compared to creation. It's a beautiful testament of God's almighty strength. You, you probably know this uh, passage, Psalms 19, 1 and 2. I think it speaks into this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So how does, does creation, the, the heavens, declare the glory of God? Well, they show his might in just the fact that they exist. How, how does night and day reveal knowledge, as it says? Well, the God who created all this is almighty. It shows us many other things, that he is wise, that he is good, that he is uh, able. It shows us all these things. But it certainly shows that God is almighty. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says it like this. All Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's Jeremiah's logic. God, you made the heavens and the earth by, by your power, by your great power and your outstretched arm. Therefore, nothing is too hard for you. So Abram should have seen if this God created me and created this world I live in, surely he can give me a child even though it is humanly impossible. The next way, I'll, I'll try to be quick with uh, these, but there, there's so much in them. The next way I see is God shows his almighty nature in his plan of redemption. His plan of redemption. So God makes the world, and it's perfect. He, he, gives, uh, he creates moral beings, you know, humans, and we use our, our, our morality, our, our 
uh, decision-making ability to sin against God, and, and sin breaks the world, if you will. A curse falls upon us, and this is seemingly an undefeatable foe. But God promises right from the start that he's going to end it, right? In Genesis 3.15, God said he's going to send uh, not, not a lightning bolt to fix everything, but a person. He's going to send a man through the, 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 the seed of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent. That is Satan and all that he stands for with sin and this curse. You think about uh, when Cain killed Abel, right? You remember that? Cain kills Abel. That's the, the children of Adam and Eve. Cain is evil. Abel is, is godly. And God gives them another son, Seth. And Eve makes it, not, yeah, sorry, Eve makes it explicitly clear that it is God who has given her this heir through which godliness can be perpetuated. It was God who gave an heir, even though the godly offspring had been put to death. When the world was going to wickedness, it was God who flooded the earth, but it was God who saved Noah. He has them build an ark. He closes them in the ark. He protects them in the ark. It was God. You can think of just so many more examples it was God who confuses the language at Babel. It was God who spreads the people around the earth. And now it is God who says he's going to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. We can even think further than that. That's you know, God's plan of redemption. But we can think of God's work in Abram's life particularly. Just his life alone. We have God as the one who pulls Abram out of this uh, wicked city of Ur, right? We know from Jeremiah, or not Jeremiah, Joshua 24, verse 2, that Abram was a worshiper of false gods. <laughs> this was not some godly man who says, I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go serve God. No, it was God who wooed him and drew him out of this wicked land. It was God who made him these promises and led him to this land it was God who did these things, who had been working in Abram's heart. Genesis 15, 7 says this, And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I did this. I pulled you out of wickedness. I pulled you back to where you could have a relationship with me. I did that. I overcame your sin nature so that you could know me. It was God who had miraculously protected Abram and his family when they went down into Egypt. You remember that? They, they lie uh, about, about her, uh, you know, them being husband and wife. So Pharaoh ends up wanting Sarai as his wife. But God sends plagues on Pharaoh's household. That doesn't just happen. This, this was an impossible thing that God did. Abram was in an impossible situation. You might remember we talked about this. You don't just walk up to the most powerful man in the world and be like, hey man, that's my wife. I know we lied to you, but I really want her back. You don't, you don't get out of that situation uh, with your head on. It's just the way it is. He was in an impossible situation, but God had gotten him out through these plagues. They are sent away. It was God who had helped Abram uh, when, when, they, uh, when Lot had been taken by this band of kings. It was God who, who sent Abram and helped him to defeat these kings. It was uh, not very good odds for Abram, but they had the victory. And over and over and over again in Abram's life, we see God do impossible things in his life. But for whatever reason, with this child, he didn't see it. He didn't see that it was God Almighty who had made this great promise to him. He had all the evidence he needed. And again, it's really easy for us to say, Abram, you, you idiot, man. God appeared to you. He gave you promises. He's done these amazing things. He's spoken to you. Why would you not trust him? If it was bad for Abram, it is horrific for us when we don't trust that God is almighty. You know why? Because we have all the same evidences as Abram has. <laughs> we have creation we can look out and say, this must be an almighty God who does impossible things, who spoke all this into existence. That wasn't just for Abram's faith. 
That is for ours as well. We have that same evidence. We see God's plan of redemption. In fact, we see it unfolded far more than Abram did. We see, hopefully, God's work in our own lives, changing us from from lovers of sin to lovers of God. We should see these impossible things in our own lives. I mean, you think about it. In the Bible... This is, this is, oh man, this is where we are so far. This is, this is the history that Abram has seen. You know, I'm on page 14 in my Bible. He's, he knows 14 pages of God's works in this world. I don't know how big my Bible is, but I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I'm looking at like 1,400 pages. We have 1,400 pages of God's work in this world. We've seen God pull Israel out of Egypt, the Exodus. We've seen God part the Red Sea. We've seen God send them in and give them the promised land. Remember the walls of Jericho just fell when they walked around it and then they blew their trumpets? (laughs) We've seen that. Abram hadn't seen that yet. We've seen that after Israel falls into idolatry over and over and over again, finally they are exiled to first Babylon, then Assyria. But then God puts it in the heart of the Assyrian king. Hey, I think these people should go back to their land. And not only that, I'm going to send them with money so that they can rebuild Jerusalem. <laughs> We've seen this stuff. Are you kidding me? We have so much more evidence that God is almighty. And I hope some of you are right, right now are saying he's missing one really big almighty thing God has done. Namely, God has already accomplished the most impossible, incredible feat through Jesus Christ, God the Son, Jesus Christ. We've seen the virgin birth. (laughs) Mary is a virgin, yet she has a a child born, and that child is not only a a human, but also God, fully God, fully man. We see that that Jesus, this God-man, has power over creation He has power over sickness. He has power over the spirit world, right? He calms the seas. He he makes the the lame to walk and the blind to see. He casts out demons. He has power over all those things. We see that in Jesus Christ. Greater still, we see that this Jesus had the power to endure the punishment that we deserve for our sins— on the cross. That wrath was poured out on him. Infinite punishment poured out on an infinite God, but he was almighty. And we know that that three days later, he rose from the dead. He showed that not not only did he taste the sting of death and and have this, uh, endure the punishment for sin, he defeated death. He, He covered our sins. That is impossible stuff, but he is God Almighty, and we have seen it all. How much more evidence could we possibly need that we are following, that we are called by, that we are commanded by, given promises from God Almighty? What more could he possibly do that would make us trust and obey him? I can't think of anything. But the fact is, we often still fall into the sin of Abram. We look only at at our fleshly, our earthly abilities. We look at our circumstances. We show it in our lives by the ways we act, the ways we sin, the ways we are, you know, anxious to a sinful degree. The ways we we feel God impress something upon us, but uh, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I can. Maybe I'll fail. And again, God tells us that he will be the satisfier of our hearts, and yet we go shopping around in every other place but God oftentimes to find our joy and to find our satisfaction. We fall into the sin of Abram. We think, ah, it's impossible for me to have that type of joy in God, that type of satisfaction in God. But God says he will do it. God says he will do it. So what do we do? We fall into this sin of Abram. We have the problem of impossible circumstances. What do we do? I'll just give you some practical applications. I believe these are just incredibly practical. First, I believe we need to Meditate on the mighty deeds of God as shown in his word. 
I don't mean just know them so that you can recite them. I mean meditate on them. The Red Sea was parted. I mean, the water goes, I mean, this is incredible. Meditate on these deeds, especially in the way that he sent his son to die for us and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. I would say another thing to do would be to remember and thank God for what he has already done in your life, the ways he's already shown himself powerful, and ask him to help you trust him more. God, thank you for this work you've done in my life. Let me remember that you're almighty. I'm reminded of, I believe it was the prophet Elijah, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, uh, that, you know, he calls down fire from heaven one day when the prophets of Baal are there. He trusts in this almighty God, and the very next day he goes fleeing uh, from, from uh, <laughs> the queen. You know, one lady is mad at him, and he goes running. God, I see what you've done in my life. You've, you've called down fire in my life. Let me not go running tomorrow. Let me cling to God Almighty tomorrow. I would say a practical, another practical way we can do this is look to the promises of God and live in light of them. I'm not telling you to go out and do stupid things and trust that the impossible God will make, make those things possible. I'm not. What I'm telling you to do is to look in God's word and say, what has God said he can do and will do in my life, through my life? Meditate on those promises and live in light of them. Because you can take them to the bank, right? A promise is only as good as the person, the, the power of the person who promises. And we've just seen that this is God Almighty. If he's promised it, he will do it. It's actually uh, Numbers 23, 19 is what I was quoting. God is not man that he should lie. I'll give you a million dollars. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? We can take God's promises to the bank every time. And finally, I would say, run to God in your troubles and wait on God to answer. You do not have to sin to get yourself out of trouble. You don't. You can run to God each and every time. So we meditate on God's mighty deeds. We remember what he's done in our lives. We thank him for it, and we ask him to, to grow our faith because of it. We look to his promises and live in light of them, and we run to God in our troubles. We wait. I, I want to help you kind of put this into practice as we come to our communion table today. This is reserved for believers, by the way, uh, those who have already trusted in Christ and are, are living in an obedient relationship to him. So let's put this into practice. We, we run to God in our troubles, and we wait for him to answer. I don't know what your trouble is today. I don't. I, I don't know what your impossible or even just really, really difficult situation is. I don't. It, it may be, I don't know how I'm going to raise kids. I don't know. I mean, there's two hearts involved. My heart, which is, is, is not so great, and that child's heart, which is not so great. How am I going to do this? This is impossible. Go to God with that trouble today. Maybe, maybe you don't know you know, where, where your money is going to come from to pay your next mortgage. Maybe you don't know how your job or your health is going to be in the next year. Maybe you're struggling with that relationship that has been bad for a decade, and you so badly want it to change, but it seems impossible. Maybe you're weighed down with guilt because you are stuck in a pattern of sin in your life. You, you say, I've tried before, and I, I just cannot get out of it. So during this time of communion, take that trouble, take that circumstance to God Almighty. Tell him, God, here's what's going on in my life. I don't see how this can turn out well. I don't see how this impossible thing can happen. But God, I see in your word that you are God Almighty, that nothing is too hard for you. Say, talk to God, say, I see that you've accomplished salvation in my life. I see that you, you want to bless me. God, God, would you do it in this area? And would you give me patience to wait on you for this answer? 
Would you give me a pure heart that doesn't sin while I'm waiting? I love this. John 16, 33. I'll, I'll leave you with this. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you, this is Jesus, by the way. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is El Shaddai, God Almighty. You can trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you that you have revealed yourself to us as El Shaddai, just the same way you did to Abram all those years ago. God, I praise you that you have revealed yourself to us in even greater ways than you did to Abram. You've shown us your plan of redemption unfold, and you have most importantly and most impressively shown us your power in your Son taking on flesh and dying for our sins, but rising from the dead, defeating it all. God, if you can take care of those things, you can take care of whatever trouble or trial or difficulty we are facing. God, help us to trust you. God, help us to find our satisfaction and our peace and our joy in you, God Almighty. God, I pray that you would free us to do whatever it is you're calling us to do because we believe your word. God, I pray that you would help us to live radically God-centered, humanly speaking, risk-taking lives because we trust you, God Almighty. My prayer is that if you have said it, we would believe it, and if you've commanded it, we will do it because of who you are. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.
Let's pray and then we'll partake. Father God, we thank you for the shed blood and the the broken body of Christ that reminds us of the most amazing and mighty work uh, that has ever been performed, and that is salvation. God, thank you for changing us. Thank you that we have an eternity to spend with you. But I pray that we would live right now in the power of your might based on what you have accomplished. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.